morning, church. This morning's uh, scripture reading is taken from Matthew 6, and we'll be reading from verses 1 to 18. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not he- heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Shall we pray? Father God, we want to thank you and praise you that we can once again gather in your name to sing praises to you, to lift up your holy name, and to listen to your word. We thank you for the message that is going out to this small group of people here, but, but online it's going out to many others. And we thank you for the technology that, that provides for that. Father, we think of those who are not well this morning. We think of those who, who are afraid to be out. We ask that you would meet the needs of, of, of them right now. We thank you for your amazing love for us, your amazing grace, your mercy. Father, we do think again of, of, of Catherine Taylor, and we ask for your, your blessing over her as she spends the next two weeks in quarantine and then uh, is reunited with her family. We ask for your, your special blessing over her. Give her comfort during this time. We also think of those who have lost loved ones recently. We think of the family of Kimi Mello. We think of the family of, of Talan Chitrananda, who lost his life this week. We think, too, of, of 
those who were caught up in the tragedy at the, at the um, Robin Hood. We pray for your, your um, comfort and your, your guidance over, over those who are um, affected. We pray for justice, but we pray most of all that people's lives would be changed, that, that, that they would know you for who you are, your amazing love for them. We think of our island at this time, and we thank you that the COVID numbers have decreased. We pray that that would continue to, to, to happen and that we would, we would be able to become more, more normal in what we do, Father God. We would pray for wisdom for those in charge. Pray for our government that you would give them guidance and direction during this difficult time. And Father God, we lift up our church. We thank you for our church. We thank you for each member, for each person who comes and worships you here. We pray for a special unity amongst us. Pray that you would build us up, that we would be a light to this island and, and to those further afield. So Father God, we thank you for this, this day. We thank you for the message that you have placed on Pastor Paul's heart. And we just pray that you would humble our hearts to listen to your word. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you, Darren. One of the things I appreciate about Darren on our leadership team is that he's a man of prayer. And I think you can tell by the way he prays that he's a man of prayer. And so we appreciate you, Darren, and we're thankful for you. Well, we're continuing to look at Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. And we, we've looked at, at how the law, the law of God, how it, how it really convicts every part of our life. But, but also how we can tend to fool ourselves into thinking that we can keep the law fairly well, just like the scribes and the Pharisees thought. The scribes and the Pharisees added to and and in some cases twisted the law in order to have an appearance of keeping it. Jesus shows us that we can't keep the law because our, our hearts, the very core of us, re rebels against its very essence. The next three areas that we're going to look at are, are not areas of the law that were contorted. They, they were they were practiced regularly, and rightfully so. And these, these are really just basic Christian disciplines. And these three areas are, are helping the needy, praying, and fasting. Verse 1 of chapter 6 lays out the danger with practicing these. So this is the premise. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Jesus gets into the specifics of each of these, but, but let me give you an overview of the problem here. The problem is we are all glory hungry. Right? We, we often want our, our right living, right, living according to God's ways, 
we want that living to be seen by other people so that we get noticed and praised by those people. Jesus says that if you want that reward, then you forfeit God's reward, which comes later, for living right. It's not that Jesus is against us getting praised by others, right, encouragement or compliments. He wants us to praise others. In fact, he does that himself with his disciples. What he is against is us living for that praise, making getting praise our purpose for for what we do and how we live. That's what he's against. Living for the praise of others feeds our glory hunger, but it will never, ever satisfy it. That's because when when we live for our glory, we, we deny the glory of the one who deserves all the glory, God. And what happens when we can't perform before others and, and, and when we don't get that praise that, that we may become so addicted to? What happens when that dries up? Well, we shrivel up as well because that's where we found our meaning. That's where we found our joy. The gospel of Jesus Christ guards us from glory hunger because through it, we are unconditionally accepted by God, regardless of our performance. We we are his adopted children, and he loves us dearly. So that's the premise for all of these, these disciplines that he discusses. There's also some commonalities within each one that we'll see as we go through, but let me, let me just tell you what they are now. The first is, Jesus wants us to do these things. Right? This is not, he doesn't want us to stop doing these things. Right? Even though it might incur some praise, if we're seen, he wants us to do it simply because he says, when. He doesn't say if. He says, When. Right? When you give to the needy, when you pray, when you fast. Right? So, so there's an expectation from our Lord, we're to do this. So these are important to do, and we'll see why as, as in just a moment. The second commonality, Jesus says in each one, don't be like the hypocrites. In Matthew's gospel, this word hypocrite comes up a lot, especially as we get further into the gospel. Hypocrisy is, is playing or, or acting a part, right? You're, you're, you're faking it. It's not genuine. It's not real. He, he describes what this looks like in each one of these examples, and, and we want to avoid this. The third and last commonality Jesus shows that the main goal of the hypocrites is to be seen by others. Right? They want an applause from their audience. Right? An, an actor needs an audience, or, or else he doesn't feel like he has to act anymore. Right? It makes no sense to play a part if you don't have an audience to view it. 
Right? There's no reason to fake giving to the poor because you care about the poor if you really don't care about the poor, but only the praise that you get for doing it. So let's look at these three things that, that God wants us to do. And we'll start with the needy. And we'll see how this all fits together in practice. Verses 2 to 4. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. So Jesus is saying that, that we don't need to sound the alarms when we are giving to the needy. There's no need for fanfare. We're actually not sure what this reference to the whole trumpet thing is in giving to the needy. There's nothing in sort of Jewish history that kind of points us toward this. Well, you know, they used to blow trumpets and then that was the cue to give into the, you know, the the box for the poor, you know, alms for the poor. We don't know. Perhaps it's, it's just a, sort of a figure of speech. We've kind of got one. Don't toot your own horn. It kind of goes along with this one a little bit. But, but the basic concept is clear, right? We, we don't sound alarms. We don't make big fanfare uh, when we're doing this. Jesus then gives a principle to help us guard against this this, uh, this area, to guard against glory hunger. He says that when we give, we should not let our, our left hand know what our right hand is doing. That's kind of strange, right? Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Well, obviously, I mentioned this last week, but the, the right hand is the dominant hand for most people. And so it's most likely that the hand that is giving toward the needy. And if your left hand knows what your right hand is doing, uh, it has an opportunity to say, way to go, right hand. That's great. Great job. See, when, when, we, when we do something good, we have a tendency to self-congratulate. Right? We have a tendency to exalt ourselves. Jesus is, is saying it's possible to feed your own glory hunger, right? Just, just personally. And, and we know that. Don't, don't we know that? Because th there's, a, there's a certain trait, a certain characteristic that we know of as cockiness. And, and what is cockiness? It's, it's sort of building yourself up, right? It's tooting your own horn. But again... It never satisfies. We'll always want more. And so Jesus gives us some clear instruction there. We even have to guard against not only doing it before others so we get praise, but to make sure that we're not just praising ourselves for it. Let's look at the next spiritual discipline, prayer. This is a big section here, and an important one. And, and I've actually covered this uh, maybe a year ago or so. But we're going to try to take a different look at this, maybe more of a bird's eye view 
to get the main gist. Let's look at verses 5 to 8. This is the first part of this section on prayer. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So Jesus is condemning prayer for the sake of being heard by others. It's it's really prayer that's directed to others and not to God. This this kind of prayer is said to make others think uh, we're highly spiritual. This hypocritical prayer is marked by by many words, right? It's it's heaped up with empty phrases. There is to be a a simplicity with prayer. Our, Our words don't have to be many or fancy. Jesus tells us to to pray alone. He says, go into your room, shut the door. There's two reasons for this. When we are alone, just just you and God, there's there's no one to impress with eloquence. This, This helps us to be real, and and simple with God. And and secondly, when we develop a habit of private prayer, it will shape our prayer in public and guard us against grandstanding prayer that is looked for praise. Perhaps you've even experienced that. That's that's the term I've coined for it, grandstand praying. You, you, want to be, you want to be loud and give great inflections, and you want to use big, complicated words, and God is not impressed by any of that. He's, he's our Father. We don't have to try to convince Him. He knows already what we need before we even ask. If, if your child came to you with, with that type of request, with, with all that eloquence and, and all that pomp, you, you'd, you'd probably just smile and shake your head. That's not necessary, son. That's not necessary, daughter. Then we get into the model prayer, the Lord's Prayer. Verses 9 to 13. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
So th this is a pattern for prayer, as Jesus says. Right? Jesus, he clearly says it's a pattern because he says, pray like this. He doesn't say pray this. He says, pray like this. So, so our simple, genuine prayers to God should contain these elements. The first, in, it's really two sections. The first section is a focus on God, verses 9 and 10. God is the focus of our prayers. Not, not other people, God. Our Father in heaven. Hallowed or holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. All the focus is on God. We are to remind ourselves that God is our good Father. That he is, he's holy, he's, he's matchless. No one can top him. You can appeal to no higher or mightier court. His kingdom is the eternal kingdom we should be concerned about and looking toward. We should desire his kingdom on earth because, because we just can't wait for it. We should want our church to be a little, a little taste of God's kingdom on earth until it actually comes one day. His will or his plan is the most important thing. We need to follow his plan, his will, above our own will. Right? That, that's difficult. That's why we pray that way. Further, we need to remind ourselves his will is, is good and acceptable and perfect. Right? That's, that's what Paul tells us in Romans 12 too. So we should, we should want it. We should desire it, even if it seems hard for us to, to go that direction. This focus on God reminds us that he gets the glory. He gets the glory because he deserves it. God is the only one who is rightfully glory-hungry. In, in various passages in the Bible relating to idolatry. God is said to be a jealous God because, because he's the almighty creator and, and worship should be directed exclusively to him. God says he gives his glory to no other because no one else deserves it besides him. No one else is like him, not even close. If you put God next to anyone else, the glory obviously goes to him. When we are looking for and living for the praise of others, we have lost sight of God. Because if we didn't, we would know that he gets the glory. The, the beautiful thing is that when, in the fact that God deserves all the glory, the beautiful thing about that is that when we humble ourselves before the Lord, He doesn't, he doesn't rub, it, rub it in our face. Yeah, that's right, I'm the greatest. He doesn't put His, his foot over us. Instead, 
we're told that he, he exalts us for doing what is right and proper. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. He exalts us like a father who exalts his humble children. The last half of the Lord's Prayer is focused on our needs. Not our wants, but our needs. If the first half is focused on God's glory, we could say the second half is focused on our good. That's the breakup of the prayer. God's glory, our good. We need things in order to live, in order to exist. And these requests remind us that we are not self-sufficient. We're not. And we're... And, and we are not on the same level as God who needs nothing from anyone. We need daily bread. You know, bread is probably a reference to, to all food, but, but even more generally, just to all needs. It's, it's a staple. It also reminds us that God doesn't promise us a, a storehouse of provision, but, but daily provision and that, that we are dependent on him for our necessities day by day. And that dependence draws us closer to him. We need forgiveness. And, and, and we need it twofold. First, we need God's forgiveness. Right? For the gospel-believing Christian, we are forgiven because, because of Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross for us. We need to keep the, the fact of our, our debts, our sins, our offenses against God before Him in confession as it reminds us of our need for Jesus and His righteousness because we don't have a righteousness of our own to put on. We need His to put on. And secondly, we need to forgive others. Right? There's, there's the vertical forgiveness, but there's also the horizontal forgiveness. And, and both go hand in hand. When we know how much we have been forgiven by God through Christ, we can more readily forgive others who have wronged us. And then finally, we need protection from evil. Right? The, the, just, the world is full of evil but God is able to deliver us from its lure and its grasp. After the model prayer, we have a brief addendum. Two verses, 14 and 15. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, does this mean that our forgiveness is provisional? Are we only forgiven if we forgive? Our forgiveness is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. It is not provisional. 
But here in these two verses is the test to whether we really, truly understand God's forgiveness. If we don't have an attitude of forgiveness toward those who wrong us, then we really don't understand the forgiveness that God offers us. God's forgiveness is so great, it makes us see the wrongs against us as comparatively small and able to be forgiven. And and I'm not trying to minimize the wrongs that people have committed against you by no means. I'm only trying to magnify the ultimate forgiveness that God has offered you because it truly is off the charts. Further, this, this shows the importance and the power of the Christian community, the church, living together. Even though we are to pray in private more than we do in public, the the Lord's Prayer is a model for praying together. Did you notice that? Did you notice all the, the plural pronouns? Our Father, give us, forgive us, lead us, deliver us. We're in it together. Further, forgiveness is a mark of a truly unique culture. So a culture that regularly practices forgiving one another shows the greater forgiveness that they possess. Plus, don't you want to be part of that kind of culture? A culture where our mistakes, our bad judgments, or even intentional wrongs toward others for whatever reason are not the relationship killers that they are in the rest of the world. Don't you want to be part of a culture like that? That's what the church should look like. Further, when you show forgiveness, you are developing a greater understanding of our Father's forgiveness and love that he has for you. The the greater the offense against you that you can forgive, the, the greater you will understand the forgiveness of our Father toward us through Christ. Let's look at the last spiritual discipline briefly that Jesus teaches on fasting. Verses 16 to 18. And when you pray, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others but by your Father who is in secret. And your, fa- and your Father who is in secret, who sees in secret, will reward you. So fasting is, is a temporary giving up of, of food in most cases. It could be other things, but generally food in order to remember that, that God is our greatest need. Fasting 
is often linked in the Bible with confession of sin, uh, requesting something big or special from God, or, or just plain desperation. God, I, I'm just at my, my wit's end. I, I'm, I'm going to fast because I, I need you more than I need food right now. Again, this is, this is not something that we are supposed to get others to notice how spiritual we are. And that's, that's why it's, this fasting is for the spiritually mature. Because, because you have to realize why you're doing it. You're not, you're not promoting it to other. Well, I'm fasting. I'm fasting right now. I want, I want, because you know, I want the Lord to, to work. The, your Father sees in secret. And that's the most important thing. All of these good things, helping the needy, praying, and fasting, are all things that our Lord expects us to do. But the danger is doing them for the praise of others instead of simply doing them because we have a Father who loves us and accepts us. Did you notice the term in our passage today, Father, for God? Did you notice how frequently it occurred? It's not just in the Lord's Prayer. It's throughout the entire passage God is continually referred to as our Father who sees us, our Father who rewards us, our Father who hears us, our Father who knows what we need, and, and He is our Father through Christ Jesus. You see, we, we kill glory hunger by resting in the fact that the only one who deserves all the glory is our Father. He's, he's our Father. We, we have Him as our Father. You know when you were a kid, you know when you kind of doted on your dad when you were little? You know, it was, I, it was pretty much my dad could beat up your dad kind of thing. You remember, remember that kind of thing? Right? You, you didn't mind your dad getting the glory. Why? Because he's your dad. And, and this is how we kill glory hungry, hunger. We know that God, through Jesus Christ, is our Father, who graciously adopts us as his beloved children through our Lord Jesus Christ. Glory to his name. Praise to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage. Thank you for the instruction that we're given and, and what we're to be on guard against. Our own glory hunger. And Father, we, we know that's, that's a sinful tendency because you you deserve all the glory, but thank you when we see you as, as our Father. We have no problem giving it to you. May we exalt you and lift you high, because through the Lord Jesus Christ we've been adopted. Adopted as sons and daughters, and we have an eternal Father 
who is good and loves us unconditionally. May we rejoice in that. And may you receive all the glory. For it's in Jesus' name we ask. Amen.